chapter 9, starting at verse 14. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately, when the entire crowd saw Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what have you been discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit who makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long, sorry, and he asked uh, the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. So, um, I don't know if you've been in the same boat as this father, where you kind of believe, but you know there are all these areas in which you're still struggling. And uh, what we want to do is talk about this idea of growth and spiritual maturity. It seems to me when I'm reading the Bible, there are all sorts of promises that Jesus makes or challenges that he makes that appear to me to be a bit like dangling a carrot in front of us. So I don't know if you can think of them. I can think of lots of them. Resist the devil and he will flee. How amazing would that be? If you could just resist the devil and he would flee. What does that actually look like? And is it really, really possible? Love your enemies. That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? If you could actually, not just put up with them, but you could actually love your enemies. How amazing would that be? Is it, is it real or is it just something God kind of dangles in front of us to kind of motivate us? Have you ever done that? Uh, Joel tells me off all the time. So one of my sons constantly brings back anything I've ever done wrong on a regular basis. And uh, years ago, he was reminding me that I told him we were on holiday that if he read a book, uh, I would take him on a jet ski and for some reason I must have forgotten or something and he's held it against me for 10 years. And in my, his mind, I was just dangling a carrot. I don't know if you ever feel that God's got all these things that are kind of like, well, if you were some kind of super Christian, maybe, maybe you could actually achieve them. But in reality, they're really, really difficult. Resist the devil, forgive your enemies, turn the other cheek. And most of them come with some kind of incredible promise that would be wonderful to live in that. But actually, it's quite difficult. Um, maybe one of the greatest potential carrots, I don't believe he's dangling carrots, but he's found in Romans um, 12. It says this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you really think about that, that's an incredible promise. That one, God can renew your mind, which scientists 
would often say to us for years and years and years, it was impossible, that once your mind thought a certain way, uh, then, then it couldn't actually change. In recent years, scientists through something called neuro neuroplasticity have realized actually you can, your mind can be changed. But this incredible idea that our minds can be renewed to such a place that we would just know what God's will is. I mean, that'd be kind of cool. You just kind of know what God's will is. You've got a decision to make in life. You've got opportunities to take. And you just kind of know what God, I mean, I'd love that. I'd be like, I feel like I'd be some kind of superhuman. I'd have some kind of like outfit. It wouldn't be good. But I feel like that, you know, that'd be an amazing thing. Super Christian. I just know what God's will is. So um, what we're going to do is uh, we've got a couple of really special Sundays coming up. We've got um, a missionary celebration. We're going to have uh, 13 missionaries around the world, which is going to be amazing. Uh, the week after that, we've got a uh, mothering Sunday so I'm going to share some stories about how, what my mum taught me about God's love and, um, and how she taught me those things. Then after that, what I'd like to do over the summer is begin to look at some really practical things that God offers us and spiritual maturity. How do we resist the devil? Can we actually do that? How do we turn the other cheek? How do we cope with criticism? How do we do some of these things that God seems to believe in us that we can actually achieve? But in the next two weeks, what I'd like to do is begin to just prepare us uh, by asking the question, how do we learn anything? How does God actually teach us? What is the process God takes us through? And what is the end goal? Uh, what is the end goal? So um, in, in a book by Brad Young, he said this, the sages, so the teachers of Jesus' day, saw the health of their religion in having a theology without being aware of it. It's an interesting thought. Having a theology without being aware of it. What does that actually mean? Does that mean theology is not important? What's God's purpose that we could get to a place of spiritual maturity? What does that actually look like? The idea of having a theology without being aware of it. Does that mean like we just don't think about theology? Um, it, it seems odd. And what's religion? I often hear Christians say things that kind of like a little bit nice, but aren't really true, such as Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Has anybody ever said that? Let's be honest. It's not a religion. It's re of course it's religion. It's a religion. A religion, the, the root word of religion is actually a, based in the word ligaments. It's a, about a connection or a, a bond. Our bond to God is through our relationship with Christ. So we've got this relationship with God and God's aim is that we would have a theology, it seems, without being aware of it. If that's true, what does that actually look like? What does that mean? I want to take us through that. So it's a little bit of an odd uh, message this morning. I want us to prepare our minds for what it looks like when God actually transforms us. So um, I'm going to do that actually by um, sharing something from just um, kind of like um, psychology, if that's okay, just generally secular, the way we learn and apply that to our spiritual lives. I hope that's okay. So I don't know what the... the I don't know what the biggest compliment anybody's ever paid you. If you think of like the biggest compliment anybody's ever given you, you know, um, no, your bum doesn't look big. I, I don't know what it would be. What's the biggest compliment? Anybody? Um, so the biggest compliment anybody ever gave me came from a very unexpected source, my son. Uh, he didn't mean it, uh, but we were having an argument. He just kind of said it inadvertently. So we were having an argument. So my son absolutely loves cars. When he was about 15, what he didn't know about cars wasn't worth knowing. 
He knew every car, every make. What you just point at a car and he'd tell me what the engine would be in that car, what the size and how many miles an hour it could do. Incredible. And one day we were having a question, uh, an argument, and, and in our arguments uh, we were arguing about cars, and he stopped. He said, "Dad, I don't even know why you're arguing with me. I know as much about cars as you know about." That's what I thought he was going to say. Religion, the Bible, or God. And there was a little pause. He went, I know as much about cars as you know about life. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> he could tell on his face he immediately regretted saying it. You could just see he thought, oh, no, what have I just said? And it's the kind of thing I hold against him for the last 10 years. And the reason I say that is Jesus didn't come, he didn't promise abundant religion, did he? He didn't promise abundance um, church. He promised abundant life. Everything Jesus teaches is true in life generally. Now you'll see copycats. So Jesus speaks about reaping and sowing and we take God out of it and call it karma. And we see all these things that God teaches and Jesus talked about, but it's life. So what we're going to go through in the next just few minutes is how all of us learn anything. Whether it's something we do for the Lord, whether it's something in how to pray, or whether it's just riding a bicycle. So they think there are, there are four stages that people go through. I'm going to take you through this and apply it to our spiritual lives because it leads us to what I believe God's goal is for our lives and our relationship, our religion, our connection to him. So if you're a teacher, you may have heard some of this. I know it may be a little bit odd using some of these words, but I just, I just find this really helpful. Uh, it's helped me a lot. So um, there are four stages to the way we learn anything. And the first stage is what's called unconscious incompetence. In other words, I don't know what I don't know. You've probably heard that phrase. It's quite popular at the moment. I don't know what I don't know. So I'm going to use Joel and cars just to keep on that track. So for instance, Joel, when he was younger, was absolutely convinced that he could drive a car when he was like seven or eight years old. He would constantly beg me, dad, let me drive the car. You can't, son. Yes, I can. Why do you think I can? I've got an Xbox. He was convinced he could. It's, it's the state of ignorant bliss. It's like when you first become a Christian, I don't know where you were when you first became a Christian. I, I became a Christian when I was 14 years old, a week before my 14th birthday, in a tent, a large tent crusade in North Manchester where I lived. And uh, the next week I went to church and I began to learn about Jesus. And I was super excited. I was like, when people hear about Jesus, it's going to be amazing. People are going to, this is going to be fantastic. Wait until I tell people that God healed me. It's going to be incredible. Wait until I, wait until I, wait until I tell people that Jesus loves them. They're going to like fall on their knees. It's going to be amazing. It's a state of ignorant bliss. So, and that's the first, that's the first level of learning we actually go through. And I don't know if you remember when you first became Christian. And it's this, this excitement and this passion and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And most of us just imagine this incredible future. And it's great now. Jesus is in control of me. I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm just going to pray. I won't have any struggles sinning. And I'm gonna, God's going to make me a better person. It's going to be amazing. And then we move on to the second level of learning anything, which is conscious incompetence. I know what I don't know. This is the worst stage of learning. It's when you suddenly realize 
Uh-oh. So I remember um, when I became a Christian, going, going into school and starting to tell people about Jesus, expecting them just to fall down on their knees and start worshipping the Lord. Instead, as you know, they hung me from the ceiling and buried tables and chairs on top of me. Uh, for, for some of us, we became a Christian and we thought, this is amazing. And the next day we cursed. Or, or two weeks later, we, we realized we just told a lie. And we thought, hang on, this is not quite as easy as I thought it was going to be. Uh, I remember the first day when Joel was old enough to drive a car, uh, which is incredibly early, we realized in Texas. In, in England, the earliest is 17 years old. I think he was 16. And I took him outside, like I'm a Walmart or somewhere. We're in a car park. And we have a stick shift. Um, so... Uh, he was very excited. I said, okay, I'm going to show you how to do this. Yeah, Dad, I know it, I know it, I know it. We swapped over. He's, he put his foot on the clutch. He put it in first gear. He lifted the clutch, and we bounced and then stalled. And, and he looked at me, and then he did it again, and we bounced and we stalled. And over the next 10 minutes, we didn't really drive along the car park. We kind of like hopped along the car park. And you can see the blood draining from his face again as he's realizing, oh my goodness, actually, I don't know how to do this. I didn't even know there was a thing called a clutch because there's no clutch on my Xbox. I didn't realize there were these signs I had to obey. And when they said 70 miles an hour, they actually meant 70 miles an hour. I didn't realize all that stuff. And as a Christian, I thought that's what we go through, don't we? we? We suddenly hit that. And it's the worst part of learning. So I want to come back to this at the end because I think it's something uh, I just want to spend a, a couple of minutes on at the end and I feel God's put something on my heart about that. It's the worst part of learning. But there is opportunities in, in the worst stage of learning because we can start learning things even then that we might not normally know. So um, uh, because I, I started doing schools work when I was younger, um, I got excited about it, the first level of learning. I'm thinking I'm going to go into schools and people are going to come to love the Lord and people are going to love it. It's going to be fantastic. And I would go into schools and start speaking and messing up all the time. So I don't know how it is here, but in England, uh, there are five, they say that the five biggest fears of an English person. And one of the top fives is public speaking. So, and if you, you've talked to me about public speaking and you say, what is it you're worried about? Usually someone will say at some point, something like, I'm worried I will forget what to say. I'm worried that my mind will go blank. Anybody ever had that worry? I, I, I want to get up, yeah, but I'm worried my mind will go blank. So I get into schools and nobody's really teaching me how to do this. I'm excited. I start to do it. It all goes wrong. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't know what to do. But the good thing is, even then, God starts teaching you stuff. So I learned this little principle that I taught, and I'll just share it with you. Maybe it'll help you one day. So what I realized was this, is that if your mind goes blank, I, I would say the last thing I just said, wherever it was, but dramatically, and ask them to think about that for a moment. <laughs> That's what I did. It worked really, really well. You should try this. It's amazing, okay? So I, I would like be talking about Jesus and something about Jesus, and then I might say, yeah, and one of the things that they used to eat in, in, in those days was popcorn. And then my mind was like, why did I say that? I can't remember where I'm going. And I'd blank out. And I'd go, so yes, Jesus said, popcorn, popcorn. Just think about that for a minute. Mmm. <laughs> okay. That's, that's the kind of thing I would do. So even, even when things went wrong, there's these kind of opportunities, these kind of things. So even 
Even, and you might be going through this right now. You, you might be in that state where you're like, oh my goodness, you know, God, I, I stepped out in faith to do this. I was pursuing God in this area. I was asking God to help me here. And oh my goodness. And it's bad because the closer you draw near the light, the more darkness it throws up in us, doesn't it? So at this stage, you feel further away from God, but actually you're closer. And I think remembering that is really important, which I'll talk about at the end. The third uh, level of learning anything, this is going to be later as we go, important as we go through our course later on, is conscious competence. I know what I know. So this is when you've learned something, but you really have to think about what you're doing. So, uh, you know, eventually my son learned to drive, which was fantastic. We really had to think about it. In England, uh, when you learn to drive, they drill this, this thing into called mirror signal maneuver. So the idea is you look at your mirror, you signal, and then you maneuver. And it's, it becomes like, it's like a cult. They just drill it into your mirror, signal, maneuver, mirror, signal. When you go on your driving test, you do everything over the top, you know, so they see that the so that the driving instructor sees you know what you're supposed to do. I'm looking at the mirror, I'm indicating, and I'm maneuvering, you know? So it's drilled into mirror signal maneuver. And many of us, um, even in our Christian lives, when we're younger and we're still growing, we need this. I remember when I first became a Christian, and this idea of knowing God's will, I, I always needed at least one of three things. I needed a sign constantly. God, give me a sign. I needed some kind of circumstance to go right, because if the circumstances was wrong, then surely God was telling me it wasn't right. Or I needed to at least keep feeling joyful and keep feeling like God loved me. So I, I knew what I knew, but I needed to keep being reminded of those things. Does that make sense? Quite a few of you nodding. So you must be going through that sometimes where you're kind of like, I, I, I'm growing. I know this now. I'm learning, but I'm, I'm constantly needing these things to re remind me and to feel assured of my faith and my relationship with God. Um, and then, finally, unconscious competence. I don't know what I don't know. Sorry, I don't know what I know, sorry. Which is an odd... No, but thanks for pointing it out. I appreciate it. <laughs> it was funny, actually. I was doing these slides. I wasn't feeling that well, by the way. I was doing these slides, not feeling that well. I was thinking, it's going to be really embarrassing if I'm talking about competence and I put something wrong. But no, Christians, Christians show, show grace, apparently. But um, there's a lack of sp spiritual maturity in this room, clearly. So where was it? Okay, yes. So unconscious competence... I don't know what I know. So, for instance, um, most of you, uh, well, for those of you who did drive, many of you would have walked here this morning. Uh, but as you drive, you get in a car, don't you? Do you know, according to WikiHow, there are 44 steps to drive a car. There are, so, when you got in your car yesterday or today and you drove somewhere, there were 43 specific things you probably did. That's without some of you ladies putting on your makeup as you're driving. I've noticed people doing so there are 44 things that, that most of us will do as we're in the car. We're not thinking about them, are we? 
Like, you know, I, I drove somewhere, or Lynn drove somewhere yesterday, and we're driving, and, you know, maybe today you, you drove there, and you're thinking, oh, I hope such and such a bot is there. I want to chat with them about such and such a thing. You're not thinking about mirror signal maneuver. You just know it. And this, in, in many ways, is what spiritual maturity looks like. It's a place where we just start to know. You know, just read this again, what Jesus, uh, sorry, what the Word of God says in Romans, what Paul says. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. We get to that place where, and that's God's ideal for us, and it's not a carrot on the end of a stick. It could actually happen. So Ryan, well loved about what, one of the things I loved about what Ryan said this morning, and we've not compared notes, was he talked about the fact that God finishes what he starts, and he does that in us. So there is no carrots here. Well, this can't actually be achieved, but I'm just going to dangle it to at least motivate you to the next step. In God's mind, he believes all of us can be in this place where we're able to know and test and have that sense where we just know. And that's what it means when it says the health of our religion in having a theology without being aware of it. We don't necessarily need all the signs. So I know many of us come from different backgrounds. I come from a, a Pentecostal background. So in my mind, when I was younger, and this was never said to me, I just kind of thought it, was that the more holy you were, the more signs you would see. You know, so if I was really holy, then I'd wake up and there'd be a hand roaring, go to Africa on the wall or something like that. You know, the more holy I was. What I've learned over the years is just the opposite. I needed signs like that when I was younger. I needed constant reassurance when I was a baby Christian. As I'm getting more mature, I think actually God's asking me the question more, well, what do you think you should do? Well, what's in your heart to do? Um, a few weeks ago, we talked about when Abraham was on this journey towards God's purposes and God takes an initial from his name, Yahweh, the H, and adds it to Abraham to make him Abraham. And what God's doing symbolically, if you, if you do the study, is he's basically saying, your journey, your journey is to become like me. Your journey is that my dreams become your dreams, not, not that your dreams become my dreams. So in our journey, uh, we're becoming more like God. We're not expecting him to become more like us, correct? And, and this is where we are. This is what God's aiming for. And over the next few weeks, after our two special services, we're going to really look at this. What does that mean in all these different amazing promises that God has for us? These amazing challenges that come with amazing promises. If it's not God dangling a carrot, what does that actually look like? And how do we do that? I'm a little bit fed up, I've got to be honest, of pastors encouraging me to step out in faith, but not telling me actually how to do it. So we're going to look at how do we actually do some of these things and what does that actually look like and uh, let me finish with a passage of scripture and then just one little um uh, picture hebrew says this hebrews 5 verse 12 to 14 in fact though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of god's word all over again you need milk not solid food anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature 
who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Let me finish with this little bit of a sad story now I'll show you a picture. Um, there's a pastor who led a really good growing church in the UK and um, he, he decided to leave the church and become a pub landlord. He didn't have any kind of moral failure and nothing went wrong in the church. He just decided one day to become a pub landlord. So some of his friends, you know, he kind of cut relationship and then after a while some of his friends went to see him and said, why? Why, why have you done this? He said, look at that bell. So in England, in the pubs, you have a bell and you ring last orders. I don't know if we do that here. So you ring last orders. So last orders, like, you know, it's time to get out. So ring the bell. This is the last time you can order a pint, basically. He says, look at that bell. He said, he said, the difference between leading a church and running a pub is in a pub, the people are devoted all by themselves. I don't have to be devoted for them. If I have to ring a bell to get rid of them. And I think what we have to understand is that's what God is calling us to do. Or get to this place where by constant use, we've trained ourselves to distinguish between good and evil. And the promise is we can be at that place. God can get us there. God can help us learn to be in that situation. So why have I shared these kind of four things? Because they're not exactly, these words aren't particularly from the Bible, but I just find them really helpful. Let me just explain. So many, many years ago, um, um, somebody said, said to me, I believe God's saying to you uh, about schools work in England, everywhere you step your foot, God will give you the schools of that area. So me being me, I thought, okay, I'll walk across England. So there's a walk called the Coast to Coast. That's a, a diagram of it. And it, uh, it takes two weeks. It takes 14 days to walk. It's not like America. It takes 14 days to walk across England. Uh, this path is, is the prettiest path in England, basically. It's, it goes through four um, uh, special parks, national parks. It's, it's absolutely gorgeous. So I got the map and I got a guidebook. I got a map and I got a guidebook. The guidebook said something really, really helpful. It said this to me. It said, many of you who are about to attempt this walk are going to do it fresh from sitting behind a desk. That was me. You're not prepared for the stren strenuous walk it really, really is. It's beautiful, but it's strenuous. And the facts show that most people who give up, give up between on day three, four, or five. So let me encourage you. If you can get past day five, I guarantee you will finish the walk. It was unbelievable how much that helped me, that piece of advice. I remember being absolutely shattered. Day four, crying for my mum, you know, like I was so tired and so exhausted, climbing up these, um, down these hills, as unfit as I was, feeling all emotional and homesick and thinking, I, I feel like, but it was just that, remember, it was that thing, if you can get past day five, if you can get past day five, and actually ended up doing it in 13 days because I got past day five. And I think that's the same as this second stage of learning. I know what I don't know. And, and I just felt on my heart today just to say to us, there may be some of you that God's really just pleased with. You're stepping out. You're, you're moving out. You're maybe coming back to him for the first time in a long time. Maybe you try to be consistent in your prayer life or, or attending church or whatever it is. And maybe you're sharing your faith with your friends or your family and you're hitting that block. Wow, this is not as easy as I thought it would be. Keep on persevering. Keep on persevering because eventually it will become natural to you and eventually you won't even be aware you're doing it. 
that's how much God can shape us and challenge us and grow us in these things, which is great, isn't it? God's an amazing God. Let's pray. And that's Ryan just to come back up. And we're going to break bread this, this morning. Lord, we just uh, thank you uh, that there is no journey you send us on that you're not here with us, as Lynn said this morning. You're here right by the side of us. In fact, Lord, you're going ahead of us by your spirit. And we thank you so much for that. We pray this morning, Lord Jesus, you would help us as we grow in the things of you, as we, as we set our sights on spiritual maturity, as we set our sights on the person you tell us we can be. Lord, I pray in your name, you will help us to grab hold of you and not give up. I pray for anyone in this room right now who they've been stepping out in faith. They've been taking a challenge and stepping forward. And right now they're feeling like giving up. They're, they're realizing this is hardly thought it would be. In your name, God, I pray, give them strength, give them courage, give them wisdom. Lord, give them everything they would need or to persevere and to get through to this next stage of their maturity in you. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen.